and in your potential moves that you're making in a portfolio can pay huge dividends at a period like this. I mean, that type of, um, I don't want to call them minor, but they are they are based on a process and a, and a progressive you know type of exposure. Um, you know, I kind of laugh at it. It's, it's kind of like uh, uh, changing lanes on a highway. You don't just jerk the wheel and go right from one lane to the other and cut off 10, you know, 10 drivers. Um, you, you put your turn signal on, you make sure there's nobody coming, you take it in steps, you make sure you're doing it the safe way. Navigating markets in a period like this isn't too dissimilar from that. The following presentation by New Square Capital LLC is intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from New Square or any other investment professional of your choosing. Please see additional important disclosure at the end of this presentation. A copy of New Square's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory fees and services is available upon request at newsquarecapital.com. Since our beginning more than a decade ago, New Square Capital has based its investment approach on what has been proven to work combined with discipline and execution. We rely on facts, not hunches or impulses, and we know that wealth is built over the long term. Our goal with this podcast is to share what we've learned and provide insights that can be implemented with an intentional process and consistency over time. Although investing should be simple, it isn't always easy. That's where discipline comes in, something we like to think is a hallmark of our firm. A good investor is an informed investor, which is why we are excited to share our insights with you. Let's go now to the Wall Street Less Traveled podcast. Hello, listeners. This is MJ Durkin, the host of the Wall Street Less Traveled podcast. And we have a very special episode of the podcast for you today. We have Joseph Rosello. He's the chairman and CEO. Ryan Kirk, president and head of portfolio management. Miguel Biaman, he's the senior fixed income portfolio manager. And we have Lee Grout. He's a senior portfolio manager with New Square Capital. Uh, we are excited to talk with you, gentlemen, today. So um, we are excited to, to have everybody here on this uh, this uh, podcast uh, episode uh, because we're going to talk about something in real time. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, the SV, SVB uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, what should we call it? Uh, <laughs> Failure. Collapse. <laughs> Collapse. <laughs> Meltdown. Uh, problem challenge. Uh, here we are. We're here to talk about this. We know it's a very, uh, it's a subject that's on everybody's minds. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about some facts. We'll talk about what led up to it, uh, what's going on, and perhaps even what are the next steps. Uh, why don't we go to uh, to Lee Grout uh, first. Uh, Lee, talk to us a little bit about, uh, just, just kind of recap uh, where we are to this point with, uh, with this. Uh, sure, MJ. Um, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, this was a, uh, very quick collapse of a bank that we haven't seen, uh, probably since the 2008 era when we saw some banks fail back then, but it's the second largest bank failure behind Washington Mutual, which happened in 2008. Um, but it was a very rapid decline in the bank starting, uh, early last week, ending on Friday and over the weekend, uh, the bank was closed by regulators, tried to be sold and was eventually not sold and has now been sold off in piecemeal um, as a bridge bank. But uh, kind of a unique situation in the sense of most banks that have failed in the past have had bad credits, bad loans that have eventually sort of sapped away their capital and caused eventually a, a run on the bank and, and 
when they're unable to raise more capital, they end up failing and the FDIC comes in and takes over. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank, a little bit of a unique situation in the sense of that was not what drove um, the decline in deposits. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank's a, a bit of a unique situation in the sense of that they deal mostly with venture capital startups and some startups that have now progressed to the further uh, along to be uh, ongoing operation companies like Roku. But um, they specifically targeted venture capital within the Silicon Valley region. And that was where most of the deposit base came from. And with the explosion in deposits they got over the last two or three years due to the increase in money that would, had been invested in venture capital, um, they had a, a very rapid rise in their deposit base. And if you look at banks, they do one of two things generally with deposits. They loan the money back out or they buy investment securities. Normally, under most circumstances, the loan portfolio is the largest piece of that asset base that they, they deal with the deposits. In the case of Silicon Valley Bank, the deposit increase was so, so fast that they were unable to find enough loans to put the money back to work. Uh, their answer to that problem was to purchase longer dated uh, bond securities, whether that be treasury, agency, whatever, whatever what have you, um, to the point where 42% of their asset base had been invested in bonds, which is well above the norm for most banks. Usually the loan portfolio is by far the largest piece of a bank. JP Morgan, for example, has about 13% of a bond portfolio compared to the loan book being more like 80, 90%. Um, so that was happening during 2022. Now, the other thing that was happening during 2022 is the Fed was raising rates and market rates across the board were going up. Well, as bond rates rise, bond values decline. And so the bond portfolio sitting on the books at Silicon Valley Bank began to decline in value. They do not have to book those losses through profit loss, but they did have big paper losses in the bond portfolio. What that does affect is their shareholder equity. Their shareholder equity was declining due to the bond portfolio losses. And that came to light probably around the Q4 into Q1 of this year. Usually a company would announce Q4 earnings sometime in the February, March area. Um, as people became more concerned about the bond portfolio losses sitting at Silicon Valley Bank, uh, some of the depositors began to withdraw money. Unlike other major banks, Silicon Valley Bank had a relatively small deposit base compared to, say, a JP Morgan or a Bank of America. So if a certain number of large depositors pull money, Silicon Valley Bank is in trouble. And that's kind of what happened. They had a very rapid decline in the deposit base starting last week. I think Ryan actually has some statistics on what those numbers actually were. But they were extremely quick and extremely rapid to the point where their deposit base declined significantly within days, as opposed to other bank failures, which may have taken you know, a couple of weeks to occur. So in terms of speed, this is kind of unprecedented in terms of how fast the bank got in trouble. Uh, they tried to do an equity raise to shore up capital. That failed pretty quickly. And so within, you know, three or four days, essentially the bank failed due to that bond problem that they had sitting on the books. Um, the market reaction to that has obviously been to, well, are there any other banks out there that have the same issue? Um, our view is that Silicon Valley Bank is a, a pretty unique situation in terms of who it focused on, how concentrated the deposits were, and how big their bond portfolio was. That said, there are a few other banks out there that have similar issues, probably not as large, but similar issues where the bond portfolio has losses. And obviously, the market has sold those stocks lower in the last couple of days. They recovered a little bit today. 
but you've just seen tremendous volatility in the financial sector in general as people are concerned slash worried about where the next shoe is going to drop. But um, you know, in a nutshell, that's kind of how quickly Silicon Valley Bank went from an on, a going concern to out of business within basically a week. And Lee, if I could just jump in, I think some of those numbers that you were talking about was um, the numbers, at least that, that, that we saw, were on Thursday, customers withdrew $42 billion uh, from Silicon Valley Bank in one day, so called 10 hours. Uh, you know, four, over $4 billion an hour. The previous largest bank run in modern U.S. history was Washington Mutual in 2008. And there was $16 billion over 10 days. So that bank collapsed in 10 days as Silicon Valley Bank collapsed in 10 hours. So it just goes to show you what kind of a world that we're living in. And obviously, technology plays a huge role in that with the ability to just make withdrawals at the press of a button uh, over the phone. It, it, it has a different dynamic in, in today's day and age. And I think just to put a little bit more color on uh, Lee's recap of the situation was just, this is the first bank failure that we've seen since 2020. Uh, during that year, we saw four banks fail. None of them were bigger than $150 million in, in assets. This is, this is a bank that's more than, you know, 10, 15 times that amount. But Banks fail. You know, it's, I don't want to say it's regularly, but in 2020, we saw four. 2019, we saw another four. 2018, there was actually none. 2017, there was eight. So you can look back at these historical examples and see how many banks fail. This is obviously a little bit different of a story because of some of the things that Lee outlined and the fact that it was, I think, the 16th largest bank, um, you know, at the time when it failed. Now, as we've moved forward in time over the coming days, We've seen uh, Signature Bank of New York, uh, something similar happen where they were, where they, um, you know, ha have, have gone on to fail. And that was right around the same amount of asset size. So it's all of this sort of rolls up to, at least from our perspective, a, a compelling story. Uh, and it's one that, that we talked about. Uh, this is a group the other day. It's something, a topic that we talk about at New Square all the time. And that's the risk management component of this. Lee just touched on it, the, the bond portfolio, the risk was not managed. The interest rate risk, when, when rates went up, the bond portfolio went down and that created a lot of issues at the bank. That's one of risk management. We always lead the conversation at New Square Capital for our portfolios and our portfolio management style with risk management. This is obviously a different side of that coin, but if companies or you know, portfolios want to be a going concern, there has to be a focus on the risk management side of things. Gal, I, I want to hear from you. What, what are your thoughts on this? Well, let me let me tell you what happened in the fixed income market. So, you know, due to the events that transpired, uh, there was a huge flight to quality, um, flight to safety. So that's when pe people uh, buy U.S. Treasury bonds and notes and the the rally on friday and on monday um was significant and and yields in the one to five year area dropped anywhere from 50 to 75 basis points which was just a, a huge huge move in in bonds um you know at the same time uh municipal bonds really haven't their yields haven't dropped very much uh corporate bonds if anything there's been spread widening, meaning that they trade 
at a at a wider or higher yield um, over, over treasury yields. But and then and then you have another component of this, which I mentioned to my colleagues, um, that CDs now new issue CDs are being issued at very very attractive levels because people just have this mentality. You know, even though CDs are FDIC insured, that they're just they're staying away from the financial sector, any any you know component of the financial sector. So it's the old supply and demand. Um, there's no demand and there's supply, and the issuers have to make it attractive for the investors. So where let's say a week ago, a one-year treasury bill and a one-year CD, the yields were approximately the same. Now uh, the treasury yield is 440 and the CD yield is around 530. So you can pick up an extra 90 basis points, um, you know, with the same term investment. Um, the, the other component of, of the, uh, the rally in, in bonds was that the Fed meets on uh, March 22nd and they basically had another hike baked in of 25 to 50 basis points. And now they've kind of stepped back from that. Um, you know, and, and there's, there were talks of it being 25 or possibly nothing, you know, but, uh, you know, the Fed is walking a, a tightrope and, you know, trying to make, trying to appease everybody. And um, it really does look at this point like it's going to be 25 basis points, um, you know, just kind of stay, stay in the middle ground. Very well said. So, um so should we talk about uh, uh, any more about how it's affected the markets or uh, what uh, what are your, what are your feelings there amongst our uh, our our esteemed roundtable? Yeah, so let me jump in here, uh, MJ. Term, in terms of the markets, we can we can expect at least in the short term more volatility. But um, on this podcast, we've in the past talked about the challenges of 2022 uh, and the market that we experienced in 22. And uh, uh, this is a spillover. In other words, uh, more volatility, uh, lots of things to navigate. Uh, And when I look at this, um, I really think that this is an outgrowth. These kinds of things are an outgrowth of the monetary policy that we've had in the last 13 years since the 0809 crisis um you know quantitative easing never went away a lot of cheap money flooded the markets m2 exploded in 2020 and 2021 and really backed the fed into a corner you've heard me say it before i'll say it again they were late to the game um or my colleagues here talked about how aggressive they have been in raising rates because they were left with no choice given the events of 2020 and uh my feeling is is that you know that kind of monetary policy basically creates landmines for all of us some of them are easy to see ryan talks about managing risk he's absolutely right um you know, just because there are landmines out there doesn't mean we can we can't find ways to sidestep them um, and and uh, walk over them. I think that you know SVB uh, is one of those you know one of those one of those landmines that went off. And and when you hear my colleagues, when Lee was explaining it, you have to really 
wonder, okay, what management at SVB Bank were, what were they thinking about? And and I, what I really mean, I, I don't mean to pick on them, but there's a, the kind of policies that we've had in place, zero interest rates, pretty much for most of the last 13 years, um, people become a bit cavalier, right, in terms of their attitudes. I think that that's what's happened there. And um, they've been brought down to earth. So, you know, I I, I think that um, the key metric that's going to, so everybody is focused on the, cra- you know, what's going on in the market. There's a lot of craziness. But when you step back from all of it, we still have pretty, you know, we have inflation problems, right? I mean, I think the inflation number was 6%, uh, 6% higher than it was a year ago. Uh, at six percent, my feeling is is that that's that hasn't gone away. And Miguel talked about the Fed and what they're going to do. Um, yeah, their resolve is really going to be tested here in terms of how they handle this. Um, I think my personal feeling is uh, Ryan and I were talking a little while ago that there's there's folks out there, you know, clamoring that the Fed needs to lower here. My personal feeling is that would be a mistake um, because uh, they're in a box. It's a two-edged, it's a double-edged sword, right? Um, I think that the government took extraordinary actions um, on Sunday night. I think we all expected that. It was the right thing to do in protecting the depositors. But guess what? They had no choice because had they not done that, they would have created a calamity in the market, right? I'm glad they didn't protect the shareholders, right? So, you know, the the next week or two, I think, are going to be um, uh, challenging times in terms of the way that the Fed may, comes out and handle this. And I agree with Miguel. I I think that it, we're probably going to see a 25 basis points hike, regardless. And um, and by the way, they didn't only protect the depositors at FEB. At, at SVB, but also Signature Bank uh, was made whole. And if I understand this correctly, let my colleagues weigh in here. They are protecting depositors depositors at every bank in the country. Um, and if, if there's if there's more problems and it spreads, the good news is, uh, as Lee pointed out, a lot of the banks are you know in solid condition here. So it doesn't mean that there's not a couple of more out there that are going to have problems. Yeah, if I could just jump in, Joseph, um, a little bit of a different response than what you saw in 2008 at this in this in the same sort of credit crisis uh, banking problem type area. In 2008, their response was, well, let's bolster the capital position of the banks and raise capital for them. And, you know, that led to obviously huge problems in terms of public outcry. Uh, should banks pay bonuses, salaries, all that kind of stuff came out for the next couple of years. And I don't think the government was happy and I don't think the banks were happy with how that all worked out. Uh, The response this time has been, all right, well, let's switch. Let's protect the depositor and bring back some moral hazard to the equity holders and the bondholders. Because SVB was essentially, I mean, people are debating whether or not it's a bailout. It it was for the depositors. It certainly was not for the shareholders. I mean, the shareholders of SVB now have nothing. So I think the government's trying to reintroduce some sort of moral hazard into the equation here uh, and let sort of the financial professionals bear the risk of figuring out 
who's got problems and who doesn't and not having the general public try to figure that out themselves. And because the problem would be if they tried to do it, they would probably just pull their money out of all the banks and because they can't, they can't assess who has the problems and who doesn't. So a um, little bit of a different tact here than what they did in 2008. Yeah. So Lee, on that point, if the Fed is now backstopping anyone facing rate pain or, you know, similar to it as SVB, that's de facto allowing massive easing in the financial in financial conditions. Would you agree with that? Potentially, yes, because they've got a lending facility in place now for banks that I believe it's only for Treasury and agency securities that they have on their books, but they'll be able to borrow from the Fed and the Treasury a certain amount based upon par value of securities on their books. Uh, they did it a little too late for SVB and Signature, but uh, for the banks that may be sort of minorly in trouble compared to uh, SVB, it may allow them to sort of tap the Fed a little bit and um, make it through the knothole. I don't believe as of this taping that anyone has tapped that facility yet from the Fed, but that's also out there in addition to backstopping deposits for SVB and Signature. So it's it's semantics a little bit, whether it was a bailout or not. I mean, they they put into place extraordinary measures that weren't there before. If you want to define that as a bailout or not, and what you guys are talking about is this bank term funding program where, to your point, Lee, it's a loan. It's it's a loan to a bank for a year to essentially get their books in order. And if they can do that, that you know loan of a year will hopefully stem any contagion and panic that may happen, you know, at other banks, if another one runs into to issues. So there's, there's these things that that happen and change the structure of what the market sort of expects not too dissimilar from what we're seeing with the Fed, you guys were just talking about what to expect at next week's meeting. And to me, it's just always so interesting to look at this. Because what were we expecting a week ago was pretty easy, pretty straightforward, a 50 basis point, uh, you know, additional rate increase. Now we've had these things transpire over the last three, four days. And now to Miguel's point, it's it may be 25 basis points, it may be zero, there's now calls for a rate cut at the next one. And what I think is important to keep in mind is that Powell said there was that 75 basis points, if you guys remember this 75 basis point hikes were off the table. That was right before they did four straight 75 basis point hikes along the way. So what we're hearing in real time versus what to ultimately expect out of the Fed can be two wildly different end scenarios. And I think it's just it's it's really important to try to keep that, you know, in our minds as we navigate these waters. Perfect. Perfect. Miguel, I feel like you want to jump in and say something here. Well, you know, with um you know the action the fed has taken this this year and uh, from a fixed income perspective looking at the the treasury curve so the short end of the curve became very attractive and you know i'm 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 fortunate i don't want to toot my own horn at this point because you know that'll come back to bite me but um i did buy um a lot of bonds you know on the short end of the curve i bought a, i bought a, i it increased credit quality in the taxable portfolios. So I bought a lot of treasuries, um, government agency bonds and, and CDs, even though I mentioned CDs are cheap, but um, increased credit quality in the portfolios, you know, and, and I'm a little bit 
you know, short duration, even though we've we have had this rally. But again, corporates haven't rallied. It's just treasuries. Um, so, you know, I just I feel good about increasing credit quality and the positioning of the portfolios with all of the volatility that we're experiencing in the fixed income markets, because it's it's greater than I've seen in 25 years. So I, I think that uh, as we talk about the Fed, what it what it reminds me of different times, though, completely different times. But Ryan, I think, uh, you know, talked about uh, when Washington Mutual failed 18 billion dollars in 10 days versus 42 or 43 billion in 10 hours. Obviously, technology is the you know, people are on trains and buses taking money out of their bank over the last uh, you know, as the news was flying. But it, it, again, I, it, the, the Fed's in a tough, very, very tough position and their resolve is going to be tested here. Um, it reminds me of the 70, you know, 78, 79, 80, uh, you know, when one when, when Volcker, Chairman Volcker, different times, different issues, you know, raised, took rates all the way up to 19 percent, I believe, uh, because we had inflation, stagflation. Um, you know, it's, it's, I like to draw that parallel because, you know, I think that, you know, Chairman Powell's going to, ha- he's going to have to hold steady here because when you step away from this, inflation is still a big issue here. It's still a big issue. We saw the numbers come out the other day and his target is 2%. He's far away from that right now. And let's make no mistake about it. Inflation is impacting the daily lives of people. So uh, I wouldn't want his job right here. I could tell you that right now. It's a tough, tough, tough position he's in. And Joseph, it's impacting the daily lives of people. It's impacting market moves. Uh, we started off talking about you know how this has affected markets. And Miguel just touched on the volatility in fixed income. I mean, we just went through a time period where the two-year rate had the biggest decline over, I believe it was a three-day period since October 1987. So we're living through these unbelievably volatile times, the the volatility index on fixed income. So there's a a VIX that measures equity uh, volatility. There's also one measuring um, uh, fixed income volatility in the treasury market. And that is at elevated levels that we haven't seen in a long, long time. So I think with the ability of this thing to to affect markets, it's done so in the short term. We talked about how banks were getting treated in the stock market over the past two days. That volatility is continuing. Um, but just like this is one moment in time leading up to this, it hasn't been like there has been a lack of volatility in individual stocks. We've had this fierce rotation, money moving all over the place, market participants really not knowing exactly where to put that money. And it has caused a wild market, you know, this year, last year, going back into 2021. So obviously, an event like this will will cause a lot more than that. But to say that it was it was void of any volatility before this would be uh, disingenuous, I think. Inflation is an issue that we got to deal with. And I know I've talked to Lee a lot about this and I've talked to Ryan about it. 
We talked about M2 exploding in 21, peaking in 22. Uh, and since, this is good news, it's declined at the fastest pace since 1930. At least that's what I'm, I, you know, I, I have been reading. That's going to be a key metric that will determine what happens in our economy over the next, you know, couple of years. I know, Lee, uh, you, you, you like that metric a lot. You look at it a lot. You might have some thoughts there. Yeah, I think, you know, post COVID, we obviously had the explosion in, in money supply along with fiscal uh, expansion as well. And I think, you know, as you unwind easy money, you find out where the problems are. You don't really know until you start to unwind where the issues lie. And I think, you know, we just found one here. I think you're going to find some more, um, you know, and people are speculating now about where that might be, whether that's commercial real estate, leveraged loans. I mean, there's a lot of talk about that now that we've had one issue here in the markets. Um, you know, nobody really knows where those there's the next shoe is to drop, but there will be. Um, but I think, you know, well-run companies that are well-financed live through those things and end up, you know, being fine in the long run. And I think that's what you got to focus on and, and where you got to sit. And the companies that do, highly leveraged things and end up going out on a limb that's who gets in big trouble during periods like this and i think uh we just saw that with svb and you know more than likely there'll be some more somewhere along the way as the fed continues to try and, and rein in inflation by by bringing uh bringing up rates and i think uh, the wild card here is is there's always unintended consequences and i think if the fed were to pivot and start cutting rates for example there could be unintended consequences of that as well. I mean, right now, the 10-year has been inverted to the two-year for quite a while, and Miguel's talked about this a lot. And, you know, let's say the Fed begins to cut for it because of the banking issue. Who's to say that the 10-year doesn't begin to rise in, in yield and end up having bigger problems because of that? So, I like, you know, I, I agree with Joseph 100%. I think Powell's in a very, very tough spot right now, and he's going to have to figure out a way to rein in inflation while not causing too much economic damage. It's going to cause some. It's just a question of how much. Well said. So, um, should we uh, should we talk a little bit about? I know a lot of uh, perhaps uh, we, we can we can land this plane. Uh, I know that New Square got a lot of questions uh, from um, from folks asking, could this happen at other major institutions? Are there systemic problems in the banking system? Uh, maybe uh, Joseph, take us out with the. The locker room speech about the uh you know the the fact that uh uh new square is first of all doesn't have any any ties to uh to svb uh and, and uh talk to us about some uh some be as be as reassuring as you can perhaps well yeah i mean i yeah you, you sort of have to as lee said that there's likely other shoes to drop i think from new square's point of view and ryan talks about it all the time um, and sometimes, you know, maybe people feel like it's an overused term, but managing risk here is very, very critical. And uh, the three gentlemen that I'm on the on the, on this podcast with, uh, you know, that's a hallmark of what they do. They, you know, they they want to sidestep those landmines to our listeners. You know, uh, I think that I think that New Square Capital did a great job last year in a very, very challenging market in managing risk in most of our portfolios. We're going to continue to do the same thing um, as we watch this, you know, all of this stuff unfold. And and again, 
we never predict markets, particularly particularly over the short term. Um, and and I would say to our listeners, advisors, and clients, uh, remember you have a long term plan, um, and and uh, in, in that plan that some of the allocations are set up to make adjust adjustments as needed. We'll continue to do those things, and and really, you know, fiercely manage risk. Uh, and try to uh, do our best to sidestep some some problems that may occur. We've been very good at it right now. Uh, up until this point, I think that we're going to continue to be good at it. I don't know, right? You might have something to say about um, uh, overall the overall view of our portfolios and uh, and how we uh, look at things in markets like this. Well, I think after events like this, it's we're always looking for opportunities and a lot of times opportunities are born out of sort of panics and, and bear markets and obviously a bear market that we've gone through over really almost the last two years by certain measures and out of that panic you have to try to look at the silver lining and and we've seen some panic over the last couple of days and, and most of it is because of that contagion risk and some of the numbers that i saw were how much of the total uh, commercial banking deposits are uninsured and i believe some of the numbers were anywhere between maybe 30 and 50 percent i could be wrong there but those are that's that's what i read so it's causing some of these other banks um to really sort of meet their day in the market from a price standpoint for their own stock but looking at some of these smaller banks versus a lot of these bigger money centers it's it, it doesn't look like it's it's going to be a, a big issue but from a market standpoint and what to do next and sort of what to watch for. I mean, it's not too dissimilar from what we've talked about in the past and that you do not need to make any significant, significant moves right now. Being progressive in your exposure and in your potential moves that you're making in a portfolio can pay huge dividends at a period like this. I mean, that type of um, I don't want to call them minor, but they are they are based on a process and a, and a progressive you know type of exposure. Um, you know, I kind of laugh at it. It's it's kind of like uh, uh, changing lanes on a highway. You don't just jerk the wheel and go right from one lane to the other and cut off ten you know ten drivers. Um, you you put your turn signal on. You make sure there's nobody coming. You take it in steps. You make sure you're doing it the safe way. Navigating markets at a period like this isn't too dissimilar from that because you want to you want to make moves that one could potentially benefit the portfolio and then two if they don't and you happen to have cut off a driver that's coming up the left hand side you can about face and and make the move back into a different lane and actually correct you know one of your mistakes as you go forward so this is just it's a it's a heightened environment. It's it's an environment that really we haven't seen in in many, many years in certain regards. And you have to be careful as you navigate through it. Really well said. Um, so thank you to all of our listeners uh, today. Uh, uh, we really appreciate you uh, being here and listening to this uh, very robust discussion. Uh, hope that you learned a lot from it. Uh, we always appreciate you uh, giving us a, a rating. If you can give us a five-star rating, uh, we would love that. If you can write a review for us on uh, uh, whatever podcast service you are on, uh, the reviews are tremendously helpful to helping other people to uh, to find the podcast. And uh, thank you uh, to um, our experts today. Thank you, gentlemen. Really thank appreciate you. 
Thanks, MJ. Yeah, great, great, great discussion. Thank you. Yeah, great spending time with you, MJ. Thanks. So to all of our listeners, uh, again, thanks for listening. And we will see you on the next episode of the Wall Street Less Traveled podcast. That concludes this episode of the Wall Street Less Traveled podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to tune in regularly for new episodes and get connected to the ideas, information, and insights that will help you succeed. We'll see you on the next episode. The previous presentation by New Square Capital LLC was intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation services serves as receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from New Square or any other investment professional of your choosing. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and it should not be assumed that future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy or any non-investment related or planning services, discussion, or content will be profitable, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. New Square is neither a law firm nor an accounting firm, and no portion of its services should be construed as legal or accounting advice. No portion of the video or podcast content should be construed by a client or prospective client as a guarantee that he or she will experience a certain level of results if New Square is engaged or continues to be engaged to provide investment advisory services. A copy of New Square's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at newsquarecapital.com.